But Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 9, Since we first heard about you, we kept you always in our prayers that you receive the perfect knowledge of God's pleasure over your lives, making your reservoirs of every kind of wisdom and spiritual understanding. We pray that you would walk in the ways of true righteousness, pleasing God in every good thing you do. Then you'll become fruit-bearing branches, yielding to His life and maturing in the rich experience of knowing God in His fullness. And we pray that you would be energized with all His explosive power from the realm of His magnificent glory, filling you with great hope. Your heart can soar with joyful gratitude. Remember that verse from last week? When you think of how God made you worthy to receive the glorious inheritance freely given to us by living in the light. He has rescued us completely from the tyrannical rule of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of realm of His beloved Son. For in the Son, all our sins are canceled and we have the release of redemption through His very blood. Isn't that beautiful? And so Paul is, is, is talking to these guys. And, and remember, we started off with that verse last week, um, who has bewitched you, Galatians? Right? They got into this mindset of uh, the, they received faith, you know, received grace by faith, and then all of a sudden now they're trying to perform to get their salvation. Right? And he's like, who's bewitched you? You can't have these things keep coming back. You can't keep mixing all this stuff up. And so you see today in, in, in here, Paul is talking in here to um, the church at Colossae, and here he's saying, you could be filled with all of it. Why? Because he's in you, you're in him. Like Paul's trying to get them to get that picture. Remember the example I gave you. You're the cup of water. There's an ocean. And God is the ocean. Right? And the picture you get there is you're being poured out into the ocean. Now, let's say in five minutes you say, ah, I changed my mind. Let me get back into that cup of water. How are they going to separate that? It's gone. Right? There's no longer a separation. The cup of water has become part of the ocean. Same metaphor is being used here. You have become one with Christ. So all the fullness of Him... Like, just get that picture in your mind. All that fullness of that ocean. <laughs> like, it's full, right? Versus that cup of water. It's definitely different. But you're no longer in the cup anymore. You've been baptized into Him. And it's immersed. So it's not like the baptism, you go in, you come out and wash off, you dry off, and everybody takes a picture of you. It's your immersed into that ocean of water and you were a cup of water and it is one. You'll become one with Christ. The fullness is it, right? So think about, real quick, going back, three main covenants, it wasn't all the covenants, but the three main covenants we've been looking at, Abraham, Moses, and now Christ. Mo, I mean, Abraham, which was pedigree. Remember we talked about? Bloodline. Abraham believed it was counted him righteous and every person after that in that covenant. Abraham did nothing in the covenant. They split the animals in half and Abraham didn't even walk in between them. Right? Remember that? And so since Abraham didn't even walk in between it, he had nothing. He didn't do anything. Right? He did nothing. He had to do, he didn't have to do anything. Right? And so here in, in Moses' covenant, it was pedigree plus performance. They agreed to it. It wasn't God's idea. They were like, we could do it. We could do it. 
Show us. Tell us what to do. We can do everything you tell us to do. Well, Moses didn't even make it off the mountain before they wasn't already doing it. Right? And we saw the immediate shift. Right? And so some people, sometimes we get confused. I did growing up because nobody explained it to me. And I would get confused. And I'd be like, God is some psychopath where like sometimes he's good and sometimes he's going to strike you down. What's he going to do today? Like if I'm good today, is he going to like pat me on the back? But as soon as I mess up and I turn it off 88.7 across and turn it to 105.3 or turn it over to 95.9 and listen to Cody Mac in the morning, is he going to strike me dead? <laughs> but that's the thought process I had growing up. And that's the way they had to live under that thought process for years upon years upon years. Generation upon generation. That's their thought process. These guys were miserable. Right? And then we get to this covenant that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, this covenant in Christ, where it's about your no longer pedigree, no longer pedigree plus performance, now position. Position. And so last week I told you, remember, every time you see the word in Christ, circle it, underline it, highlight it. That's who you are now. That's your new nature now. That's who you become. Right? And so I just want to clarify again some of what we talked about last week. And then just take that deeper a little bit, how that means to you today, okay? So he qualifies you in verse 12 of Colossians that we just read. In the passive version, it says, Your hearts to soar with joyful gratitude when you think of how God made you worthy, right? So the passive translation says it made you worthy, all right? Some of your translations may say, and I really like this word in some of the other translations, it says qualifies you. It qualifies you. Like, you didn't do anything to qualify, right? You didn't do anything to do that. You had, you, you had nothing, right? How much did you have um, to do with um, your parents conceiving you? How much did you have to do with that? How much? Zero. Zero. The same amount that you had to do with Jesus saving you. Zero. He did it for you. He qualified you. You weren't qualified. I wasn't qualified. You were qualified. By Him. Right? That just makes those passages just start coming and flooding, should start flooding your mind. Those passages that we talk about a lot of times that where was God? He was in Christ reconciling the world. You know, he wasn't turning his back on Jesus. He wasn't turning his back on Jesus on the cross. He was in Christ, reconciling the world back to himself. He became sin who knew no sin. Why? So that you may become the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. Behold, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All those things should start flooding in you whenever he says he qualifies you. It is not about you. Again, we looked at one of the passages with, with Moses. Whenever they would bring the lamb to be sacrificed to cover their sins, the priest didn't examine the worshiper. It examined the sacrifice, the lamb. Same thing today. The lamb is what's being examined. And who is the lamb? Not you. Christ himself. He qualifies you. So go with me to Hebrews 7. Hebrews 7, verse 20, 22. Hebrews 7, verse 22. 
So all this magnifies the truth that we have a superior covenant. Actually, I want to go back to... Let's go to 18. Go back four verse. 18. The old order of priesthood has been set aside as weak and powerless, for the law has never made anyone perfect. But in its place is a far better hope which gives us confidence to experience intimacy with God. Uh, what kind of? Far better. What is that far better covenant? Jesus covenant, right? The one you're living under right now. It's a far better covenant than that one of the law with Moses. For the former priest took their office without an oath, but with Jesus, God affirmed his royal priesthood with his promise saying, the Lord has made a solemn oath and will never change his mind. You are a king priest. How long? Forever. Remember those verses we looked at last week when we opened up in Jeremiah and Ezekiel and he says, there's coming a day I'm making a new covenant and that covenant's going to be an everlasting covenant. It's not going to go away, right? Because you could get confused if you're reading the Bible and you're just going to be like, okay, well, he made a covenant with Adam and Eve, made a covenant with Noah, the rainbow, I get that. Then he made one with Abraham, made one with Moses, made one with David. And, so, and we just keep And then you're just like, all right, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus. I wonder what the new covenant is going to be. There's not one. Like he confirms in his word, I will make an everlasting covenant. This covenant, Paul is saying, well, some, there's a debate whether Paul wrote Hebrews or not. I think it was him. But he says in Hebrews, look, this is far greater. And it's an everlasting. It's going to be how long? Forever. You're not having to look for another. Why would you want another one? I mean, you've got it made in, the, in this one. Verse 22, so all of this magnifies the truth. It does what? Magnifies the truth that we have a superior covenant. Meaning it is on top. Like it's better even than the one Abraham had. Like if you wasn't born in Abraham's family, it's tough luck. This is far better than that. Way better. And thank God I'm not having to perform anymore. Right? So he's saying this is far better. Right? Superior covenant with God than what they experienced. For Jesus himself is, listen, the guarantor. He did what in Colossians? He qualified you. What's your guarantee? Jesus is your guarantee. He's looking at Jesus. He's not looking for you. Right? But here's the deal. It was a one time for all sacrifice, it says. So that means if he is the lamb that takes away the sins of the world, clean slate for you. He's not sacrificing himself, the Bible says, over and over and over. It was a once and for all sacrifice. As additional proof, he says, we know there were many priests under the old system for they eventually died and their office had to be filled by another. But Jesus does what? What's that word there? Permanently holds his priestly office since he lives forever. Ever watch Sandlot? Forever. And will never have a what? Successor. It's it. It's done. There's no arguing about it like it is a done deal. Now, we looked at it last week. You could still live under the law. And you can still live under the curse of the law if you choose to. Right? Just because it is the new covenant that's been established doesn't mean you're walking in it. Does that make sense? 
Like it is positioned in Christ. You have been positioned in Christ, but you could still choose to not live in the position that He has already given you. He has guaranteed you. He has placed you there. He is the guarantor, it says, and He has qualified you. But you still have to choose. You still have to choose. Go over one more chapter. Go to, um, go to 8. Go to chapter 8, verse 6. But now Jesus the Messiah has accepted a priestly ministry which far surpasses theirs, since he is the catalyst of a better covenant which contains far more wonderful promises. Like, again, did you just hear that? Remember those that we looked at in 28? Those were some good promises, guys, in 28, especially for in a time we're living in right now where everybody's scared, where everybody don't know what's going on, there's no new normal, like, you don't know what's going on, you don't know what's happening next, right? Those are some good promises. But look at what he just said about our promises with him. Not only do you have those promises, he says what? A better covenant which contains far more, far more wonderful promises. Whew. Like, I, I kind of want to know those, <laughs> right? Because they're mine, Right? For if that first covenant had been faultless, no one would have needed a second one to replace it but God. Revealed the defect and the limitation of the first when he said to his people. And this is the passage that we read out of the Old Testament last week. Look, the day will come, declares the Lord, when I will satisfy the people of Israel and Judah by giving them what? A new covenant. It will be an entirely different covenant than the one I made with their fathers when I led them by the hand out of Egypt, for they did not remain faithful to my covenant, even though they said they would. So I rejected them. For here is the covenant I will one day establish with the people of Israel. I will ebb my laws within their thoughts, their hearts, right? And I will, within their hearts, and I will fasten them onto their hearts, and I will be their loyal God, and they will be my loyal people. Why? Because they work so hard at it? No, because it's already in them. And the result of this will be that everyone will what? Know me intimately. That's the word there. Intimate knowing. There will be no need at all to teach their fellow citizens or brothers by saying, you should know Yahweh. Since everyone will already what? Know me inwardly. From the most unlikely to the most distinguished. For I will demonstrate my mercy to them and I will forgive their evil deeds and never, ever remember again their sins. And look at what he follows that up with, that passage in the Old Testament. This proves that by establishing this new covenant, the first is now obsolete. So if you just living under it, it's your own dang fault. That's what he's saying. Ready to expire and about to completely disappear. Disappear. Go over... Two more chapters to chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 9. And then he said, God, I will, this is Jesus talking to the Father, I will be the one to go and do your will. So by being the sacrifice that removes sin, he abolishes animal sacrifices and replaces that entire system with what? The new covenant. By God's will, we have been purified and made holy. That's again, you qualified you. You have been made holy. You have been purified. That's all past tense. Once and what? For all. Once and for all. How long? Once and for all. Once and for all. Through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus, the Messiah. Yet, every day. 
priests still serve ritually offering the same sacrifice again and again and again and again and again. Sacrifices that can never take away what? Sins, guilt. So what's the opposite of that? You can take away sins, guilt. So he said, even though this has been offered, guess what? There's still people living under it. Day after day, day after day, day after day. But we have a superior covenant. So go with me to 2 Timothy. I want to make this verse a little clearer for some of us because a lot of times you'll hear pastors um, using this against people. Um, I don't like talking about people, especially from the pulpit. But it says, 2 Timothy chapter 2, go to um, verse 11. You could trust these words. If we were joined with him in his death, then we were joined with him in his life. If we were joined with him in his sufferings, then we will reign together with him in his triumph. If we disregard him, then we'll also then he will also what? Disregard us. But even if we are faithless, listen to that. Even if we are faithless, he will still be full of faith. For he never wavers in his faithfulness to us. Never. Like you might, but he won't. And guess what? You didn't walk in between them, right? You didn't walk in between, remember Abraham? He didn't walk in between the sacrifice, neither did you. Just like you had no, nothing to do with your parents getting you here. You didn't have nothing to do with that either. But he qualified you, and he brought you there. So verse 14, be committed. Be committed to do what? Teach the believers. Listen to this. All these things. What's he been talking about here? He's been trying to clarify what you got now. He's been trying to clarify that your sins are removed forever. He's been trying to clarify that you are qualified. He said, be ye committed to teach believers all these things when you're with them in the presence of the Lord. Instruct them to never be drawn, listen to this, into meaningless arguments or tear each other down with useless words that only harm others. Don't get caught up in all that mess. You mean to tell me y'all had a woman get up there and speak? Oh my goodness. My church always told me, you can't have no woman speak. They didn't know their place. It's meaningless arguments. You could easily go through and show them what Paul was trying to tell them there. But then you could easily go through the whole New Testament and show that not only the apostles, but Jesus himself started his whole ministry from the resurrection with women. With women prophesying and women heralding the truth. You see, if we have one without the other, we're not really complimenting God because both male and female were created in His image. So if we're only elevating one without elevating the other, we're only getting part of God in our ministry and in our service together. But there will be people who try to do meaningless arguments with you and fight over stuff as such as this. What I'm saying is, don't get caught up in all that. If they want to get caught up in it, and they want to live under the bondage, and they want to live under the curse, because what have they done? They've tried to do what? Faith plus works. Law. And you've added the law under faith. Okay? So be careful in all that. But look at what he says next. 
Always be eager to present yourself before God as a perfect and mature minister. Why? Without shame as one who correctly explains the word of truth. What's he clarifying there? Your Bible, or one of your translations may say, rightly divide the word of truth, right? And people try to use that and say, well, see, you you got to do that and... And so we got to teach that miracles don't happen no more and signs and wonders don't happen no more and blah, 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 blah. They get off in all them arguments again. Just believe the Bible. It's there. Just believe it. Right? Paul says I speak in tongues more than any of you. Just read the Bible. Right? But he's trying to get you to say, if they want to do all that, let them go over and do all that. But you be centered in the truth. And you rightly divide the truth, meaning... You don't mix. Don't mix this faith and works deal when you're teaching. Right? Do not mix it up. That's what he's trying to say. When you rightly divide the truth, you've got to look at all that beforehand. And he's saying all this, don't divide it up. So let me prove that to you, what I'm saying. I don't want it. You know me. I ain't going to give you one verse and then we're going out the door. I'm going to prove what I'm saying. Rightly divide. To mix it, let me say this, to mix it is heresy. That's when you get into heresy. Not all that other stuff that I just mentioned, some of those things. That's not, those are just debates. Silly arguments that you get involved in. But here's where the heresy comes in, is where you're mixing law and grace. Okay, here it is, 1 Timothy 1. Go back a book, 1 Timothy 1, verse 7. First Timothy 1, verse 7. They presume to be expert teachers of the law, but they don't have the slightest idea of what they're talking about, and they simply love to what? Argue. Be aware of those kind of people. What's the, what's the one thing they're going to want to do a lot? Argue, argue, argue their point, because they have to be right. It is better to be in right relationship than having to be right all the time. So you don't want to have to argue. You don't want to be the person that's arguing. You don't have to be an expert teacher of the law because what do you do now in this new covenant? Put himself in you so he can teach you every day. Okay? Go to the next one, Galatians 1. Galatians chapter 1. Look at verse 6. Galatians 1, verse 6, I am shocked over how quickly you have strayed away from the one. Now, this is the same book. This is the same people he's talking about. The people, um, the Galatian people in chapter 3 when he said, who bewitched you. But here he says, I'm shocked over how quickly you have strayed away from the one who called you in the what? Grace of Christ. I'm astounded. Why is he astounded? That you now embrace a distorted gospel, which means what? You're getting a little bit of it, but you've distorted it a little bit too. Like you're mixing. You're mixing some of the truth, but you're mixing it with some of the old. Right? Let me just tell you something about, real quick. Rhema word versus the Logos word. The Logos word is the word of God that is written in print that we can go to every day, the Logos word, that we can get it out. Rhema word means God gave you a word, a fresh word right then. Right? God still speaks today. Got it? He still speaks today. And we can't live off of old words. I'm not saying, don't misquote me now. I'm not saying we don't live off of this. But if he give you a word, 
You can't just stay on that word without keep listening to God. And here's my point. We listened the other day. I don't even remember who that was, but it was a great point. That thank God, <laughs> Isaac's probably saying, thank God that daddy kept listening to God. Because he said, what? Pick him up, take him up, let's sacrifice him. If he would have just lived off that word and just said, I ain't going to listen to God no more. That's the word I needed. I'm, I'm done. Isaac wouldn't have been man. <laughs> Gone. See you later. Sayonara. But he hears God say, look, Abraham, look what I got over there for you. Oh, Isaac's like, thank yeah. That's a close one. Right? Because Isaac wasn't no baby. He was a young man. He's able to know what was going on. So listen to the word that he has given you, implanted to you, and don't mix grace and law together. Go to chapter 2 of the same book. Chapter 2, verse 14. Chapter 2, verse 14. So when I realized they were acting inconsistently with the revelation of the gospel, I confronted Peter in front of everyone. You were born a Jew, but you've chosen to disregard Jewish regulations and live like a Gentile. Why then do you force Gentiles to conform to these same rules? Although they were Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners, we know that no one receives God's perfect righteousness as a reward for keeping the law, but only by faith of Jesus the Messiah. His faithfulness has saved us, and we have received God's perfect righteousness. Now we know that God accepts no one by keeping of religious laws. What did he say? Even I had to confront my brother. Like, he just forgot. He had a slip. Like, he, he remembered, like, but then all of a sudden he gets around with these other people. And they start preaching the law mixed with grace. And he's like, oh, yeah, that, I forgot. We've got to go back to that. And he said, I had to confront him because we can't do that. We can't keep going back and forth. That, that's, you can't live there because if you're living under the law, it's death. And Paul's like, I don't want, to live, I want people living under death. I, don't want, I want them to be alive in Christ, right? Go on to chapter 6. We'll skip 3 since we read the whole thing last week. And I read the whole thing again yesterday, so. <laughs> Chapter 6, verse 12. All those who insist you be circumcised are, recru are recruiting you so they can boast in their own achievement. They seek to avoid the persecution that comes with preaching and liberating message of the cross of Messiah. Not even those who are circumcised keep every detail of the written law. They don't even do that. Yet they push you to be circumcised so that they can boast that you have become like them. May my only boast be found in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Him I have been crucified to this natural realm. The natural realm is dead to me and no longer dominates my life. Whether a man is circumcised or uncircumcised is meaningless to me. What really matters is the transformation power of the new creation life. And all those who live in agreement with this standard will be true peace and God's delight for they are the Israel of God. From, from now on, let no one cause me to suffer further, for I am carrying the very scars of our Lord Jesus in my body. Finally, my beloved ones, may the wonderful grace of our Lord Jesus and no one be flowing in your spirit. Think about today's times. You must be baptized by our church in this name, or else you're not born again. You don't know him. Fill that in the spot with circumcision. 
All those who insist you be baptized in this certain name at this certain church are recruiting you so they can boast in their own achievement. Don't get caught up in that stuff. It's bringing you back. Trying to bring you back under that law. He's trying to bring you back under it. When Paul says, I done died to all that stuff. He said, you want to you show me if it's real or not? What did he say? He says, what really matters to me is the transforming power of this new creation life. He said, that'll show me. Not your circumcised or baptized at a certain place. And, and I just picked those. Look, we could pick a lot of them right now. Right? We could pick a lot of them. Dress a certain way. Um, hmm? Makeup. Makeup, yeah. I mean, you could just list a million of them. Doesn't matter. Every denomination's got some. I don't care what background you are. Every denomination got some that they're going to say you got to do this. And Paul is trying to get us to remember when we do that, guys, we're not only hurting ourselves, but we're putting people under bondage. And people were made to be set free by Christ. Set free. To live free. To be in freedom. To walk in freedom. To not be sin conscious, the word said a while ago. Not even be sin conscious. To not have the guilt of sin in your life. Because He has qualified you. Not based off anything you've done, but because of Him. Romans 8, 31. Remember what it says, Paul says, he says, what shall we say to this then? If God be for us, who can be against us? If He's qualified you, if He's qualified you, that means, remember we talked about, that means when I stand in front of the mirror, and I know it's hard, especially if you grew up like that, and you hear these voices, and you stand in front of the mirror, and you all of a sudden the condemning voice. You're not pretty enough. You're not good enough. You need to lose some weight here. Maybe a little tuck here. Maybe a lift here. Like all these things start going through our heads. Because why? We're not good enough. Right? We're not good enough. I don't even remember what it was yesterday, but I told you how I struggled with weight when I was growing up, and so then it was like... Um, like, just look in the mirror. It didn't, didn't matter if I weighed this much or this much. I was just like, that's all I saw was this big, short, round guy. <laughs> like I was in junior high. And even, like, and it'll still sneak up on me, like, a lot, you know, whenever I see myself. Um, and, and, and just weird stuff will come through your minds that... It's a condemning voice. It's a condemning voice. And Paul says in Romans, there's no longer any condemnation, meaning there is no more condemning voice against you anymore, so come up out of that, right? And so the enemy knows that, so he puts those thoughts in it. It's up to us, are we going to entertain those thoughts or reject them? But even just yesterday, that's how, that's how frequent that is. I don't even remember what it was. Me and Julie had a slight disagreement. I know nobody does that in their, family, in their spouse, but... We had a slight one, and 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 I don't. It was just so weird to me that when whatever it was, I walked off, and it was the weirdest thought because I had to stop and say, "Where is that even coming from?" When I walked walked off from that disagreement, 
something said, if you would quit eating and you would get a little skinnier, she wouldn't have that disagreement with you. I was like, I don't even have nothing to do with what we're talking about. But that was the thought process was that I can be accepted if I look a certain way. A condemning voice, right? And so I was like, where are you? Co- I, and I just started, I went back there in my closet and just started saying, where are you coming from? Where, like, you can't come at me like that, you know? And I just started remembering these verses. I'm qualified. I'm in covenant with God. I'm qualified. You don't qualify me. There is no condemning voice anymore. I just started telling them, reminding them who, where he is, right? I'm the condemning voice on you, pal, because you're the one going to be buried under all this under my feet, right? But you got to, because if I would have let that sit, all of a sudden I think I got to please her by, all right, let me find this next fad diet and let me go start exercising and then maybe Jill will be happy with me again, dang it. You know, sounds funny, sounds weird, but we do stuff like that all the time. Because the enemy wants to condemn the voice. And so Romans 8, Paul says, what do we say to all this? If God is for us, who can be against us? But we got to know that in our knower or else when the condemning voice comes, we're going to submit to the voice. If we don't know we're qualified, we're going to submit. And He has qualified us. 2 Corinthians 1, 19, 20 is the verse that we say all the time. In Christ. All the promises of God. Remember that verse we read earlier that says not only the promises of Abraham, but you've even got even new promises with Jesus? Like, all those are good, and I'll take them. But he's like, you got even more than that. Like, you got promises that they didn't even have. One is, he's in you. They didn't have God in them. You do. Like, he who is greater than the, like he who is in you is greater than the world. Right? He's already overcome it. He's in you. Like, you have a lot more promises than what they have. And so they are yes and they are men in Christ Jesus. Meaning, it's in Christ, you're in Christ, you're positioned in Christ, so therefore He has qualified you to receive it. So go with me, last verse, Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. And again, if you're from Baskin, you get a little gun shy when I say Philippians because you know it might take seven months and then I leave. (laughs) But I don't plan on going anywhere today. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness. The absolute fullness. Just before we keep going in this verse, I want to suggest something to you. Listen to Paul's language. Paul believes he can receive the fullness of Christ here on this side. He's like, I hadn't got it yet. And most of us look at Paul and think, man, he's super Christian. Like, if anybody could be Superman in Christianity, that'd be him. He's simply a man that yielded himself to God. And here's the thing. We're supposed to go from glory to glory to glory. We should actually be going further than what Paul went. According to Scripture. I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing. Like, I know there's so much more. And just think about what he experienced. But I run with passion into his abundance. Remember, there you are, a cup of water, going to the abundance of that ocean, so that I may reach the purpose for which Christ Jesus, listen to this, 
laid hold of me. I love that. He laid hold of me. Like, grabbed me up. And he says, I want to run into the abundance of what he laid. Like, he laid that on me. And he said, this is why. To make me his own. Like, I want to hold on. I'm going to hold on to that. And I'm going to run with everything into that place where he's already grabbed hold to me. I just need to run fully into it. Like, he's already qualified you. He's already positioned you. And he says, here it is. Here it is. You just got to run into it. Just got to run into it. Jess, you want to play something real quick? I want you to just close your eyes. I want you to think for a minute. You have a condemning voice that says you can't do this, you can't do that. You're not this, you're not that, you're not good enough. And Jesus says, I have qualified you. I've included you in me. And I'm in you. The abundance. I have laid hold of you. Meaning I have grabbed hold of you. I'm not letting go. And even at times when we're not faithful, remember that verse we read? Even when we're not faithful, He, he remains faithful. So His faithfulness is, is not based on my faithfulness. That should just relieve you this morning. But it's based on Christ. He's already proven it to you. He's already proven it to you. sing this song all the time but I just want you to say these words in your spirit in your heart Father who do you say I am I want you to listen I want you to hear what he says when you hear what he says I want you to say out loud what he says Declare it out. Righteous. Righteous. Son. Love. A child. Cared for. Release the seed. The word is the seed. Loved. The word is the seed. We release it out. But the cares of this world, Mark chapter 4 says, it wants to choke those things out. Your worries and your anxieties of this world want to choke it out. A lot of times we've already choked it out ourselves because we never released it. kingdom of heaven is like a man who scatters seed. That means he's got to open his mouth.
no longer a condemning voice. What does all this mean, Paul says? If God is determined to stand with us, tell me, who then could ever stand against us? For God has proved His love by giving us His greatest treasure, the gift of a son. And since God freely offered Him up as a sacrifice for us all, He certainly won't withhold from us anything else He has. Paul says, I run in Philippians to that abundance. Wanting to lay hold of what he's already laid hold of me. And here Paul was reminding us, if he didn't withhold his son, there's nothing he won't withhold. Where he's qualified you.